0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. As, as always, we appreciate your time and uh, know that you have lots of choices out there, uh, but I'm glad you are choosing this as an option. Today's podcast is going to be about the rock bottom, uh, the very drudges of our life story, our existence, Uh, the ugly of the ugly. And this is inspired today by, I've been trying to avoid this actually a little bit uh, because I am not super up to speed on uh, all the, the different Hollywood stuff that's out there. But today, I'm going to be addressing what uh, I am seeing with the Johnny Depp case. Uh, This is, I I want to preface, this is a commentary. This is not... uh, there's gonna be portions of this that are even though I'm gonna take a clinical look I am not diagnosing him his ex-wife like any of that stuff uh, it's not my place because I don't know enough of the story uh, even even though he's telling a lot of his story I don't know that any of us from the outside as we as we sit can know exactly um, what is going on inside. <clears throat> But I'm also going to do this in the light of, I saw, finally, I've been wanting to see this in live theater. I got to see the Hamilton. I got to see Hamilton last night and it was phenomenal. And it actually sparked this this moment for me that said, yeah, I got to do this podcast, even though I've been kind of shying away from it. And the podcast essentially today is going to hit at that moment, that moment of being at the rock bottom, the very bottom and realizing and asking ourselves questions like, what's it all for? What is the purpose? Is it worth it? You know, those questions that come up when we are at the very, very bottom of the pit. And with that, I want to point to two moments. One that I'm, I saw in the, uh, I kind of saw it periodically throughout the, the Johnny Depp case, uh, but I also see it in the show Hamilton. It's that moment where it all seems like it's collapsing Anyway. And you see, so like in Alexander Hamilton's story, uh, the the way that they projected it in the play at least, there's that moment where he decides to write the story of his affair and make it public. He decided there was some sort of moral necessity to come clean. To be known, as ugly as it is, to be known. Well, in some ways, I have seen that in the Johnny Depp case. Somehow, somewhere in there, well, you can you can argue what it's what's the reason behind it, and we'll get into some of that. Uh, what what is the actual argument later on? Because it is clinically driven argument, and I'll explain what I mean when I get there. But that moment that he said, is it worth it? You could hear it, it to a degree when you hear some of the things that he's chosen to say and the way he's he's been just, in some ways, what appears to be at least, and again, I'm not a Johnny Depp expert, but appears to be brutally honest. The idea of, I'm going to show you everything about me, the ugly stuff and all, because I want you to paint an accurate picture, not an inaccurate picture. It's more, he's more, at least seems to be more interested in accuracy as opposed to good or bad. Do I look good or do I look bad? No, I I want you to see me as I am. So I want to begin with this. I worked with a client at one point who was uh, definitely wrestling with some narcissism. Uh, at least some some tendencies toward narcissism, uh, lack of empathy, uh, you know the the idea that everybody is there for their own good, uh, that kind of stuff. And one of the things that came up in that relationship was this idea of cost benefit analysis. The idea of cost benefit analysis is we are to a degree always weighing our benefit versus the cost that is a big big deal and here is why i want to go down this path because clinically if i see that somebody is doing that in relationships my natural instinct at this point because i had to learn this but now it just comes naturally i just i fall into that pathway of exploring this what's the scale That's my question. What's the scale? I'll give you an example. If the scale is money, then how do we attribute a dollar value to the relationship in front of us? If it's the quality of relationships, then where does money fit into the equation? Does money add quality or take away quality? Right. You see how those two, even though they're totally different, have an interactive property. In the equation, it's not going to be one or the other. It's most likely going to be both because they interact with one another independent of us. But let's go down the list. I'll read some other options. Quantity of relationships, not quality. Growth. Personal, others. Spiritual connection. Political activism. Power. Rescuing in other words, you know, being a, the savior or the feeling of superiority, possibly. There, The list could go on and on and on. We, we could go to items driven. We have hoarders for a reason. They find comfort in their cost-benefit analysis. They're using items as part of the scale. That's a big deal. So th- the first question is, what is your currency? Do you know what your currency is? If you do, great. I'm happy for you. Like, that is fantastic. But you should know all aspects of your currency because nobody will know it if you don't know it. You are an individual person. You are independent of others. And therefore, you can have different scales, sometimes even for different people, Uh, Uh, that's just a reality. It happens. I've seen it many, many times play out in my office. So what is your scale? And how do those independent variables that are in your scale interact with one another? Man, all of those things, all of those things have to be taken into account when we're looking at the cost benefit analysis. What is your scale? Some of you may not know your scale. That's a possibility. If you don't, what I would suggest is look back over the last 12 months. Where did you spend your time? Where did you spend your money? And what resources did you put into what things? Because time and energy are the two biggest, most typically known resources. But if I give up certain things to get other things, that's gonna tell the story of what my scale is. Do you miss church? Do you never miss church? Do you uh, show up for funerals? Do you show up for weddings? It's going to show you what your scale is. I'm going to offer up a, a little bit of a, uh, an example because, as a as a therapist, one of the things that I do is I try really hard to set an example and. By no means am I the best example every time, not even close. Uh, I, do, I, I do give my everything to what is in front of me. That I am confident of and that's why it helps me sleep at night. I got I to know that I've done everything that I can because sometimes clients come in and they are just so, so hurt. And if I don't know that I'm putting everything that I can into it, then I, I could have trouble sleeping. Um, you know, as somebody who is a helper, a healer, that's kind of a big deal. I want to know that I'm putting in my effort. That doesn't mean that I'm a rescuer or a uh, savior of anybody, because I'm open about that too. It is not my place to rescue anybody. I can't. the, the, The reality is people are either ready to rescue themselves or they are not ready to rescue themselves. My role can be to help point them in a direction when they're ready to rescue themselves, saying, hey, there might be some firm ground over here to stand on. Go take a look. Tell me what you think, and we'll we'll try something different if it doesn't work. Or go over this way and try to stand over here. Or, hey, have you thought about this area of your life to explore? So that's my role. But I do have a clinical currency. And I want to tell you what my clinical currency is, because I believe it's based on what I know to be a foundation of truth. First on the list is love. Now, love in the therapeutic world, you've heard me talk about this a bunch if you've listened, is empathy. The attempt to see the world as if I'm somebody else. If I do that well, then I will offer the right kind of love language at the right kind of time in the right kind of way. So it's appropriate and healthy. And it could be anything from, uh, you know, appropriate physical contact. In a therapeutic relationship, there's, you know, there's, there's not much room to be appropriately physical. Um, but an appropriate healthy hug on the way out, sometimes that's appropriate, right? Uh, it depends on the client, what their history is and stuff like that. Um, you know, long hugs, probably not the most appropriate. But if you withhold appropriate physical contact from somebody who needs appropriate physical contact, you could actually prevent healing. So as a therapist, we're always weighing that. But it's anything from that all the way to the other end where it's gifts, right? The five love languages. You can look that up on your own, but there are five of them. You know, We, we do all of them in therapy, depending on the circumstance, the scenario what's happening in the life, what may project the appropriate type of love. Let me just put this little caveat in there just because I want to be clear. No therapist ever should be romantically involved with a client, right? We have ethics and laws to protect clients from that, uh, but it's also to protect therapists, right? We... Should ne- so there's the the rule of thumb for me uh, that I was taught in graduate school, and I'm just putting this out there just in case some of you are encountering this. The rule of thumb is once they become a client, this is whether single, married, whatever. I, it, the, the rule applies. The rule of thumb that I was taught is once they're a client, they are on the no, not ever list. That's what I was taught, and I believe that with everything in me. If I see uh, a teenager, their family is in the no, not ever list. No, not ever. That means not today, not a year, not 10 years, not 50 years from now. They are in the no, not ever list. That's to me just out of respect for uh, the work that we've done and the relationship that we've created. They are on the client and their family is on the no, not ever list. So keep that in mind just in case you're in that boat. Number two, clinical currency is forgiveness. It's the idea of not being judgmental. Forgiving somebody, uh, there, there's a process of forgiveness. Well, there's two things I want to go into here. Number one is the definition that I use in the clinical world. Acceptance of the person in spite of, of hurtful behavior. That leaves space for forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. Acceptance of the person in spite of hurtful behaviors. Behaviors are often what tear us down, but acceptance from people who really truly love us and care about us is what builds us up. The other part of forgiveness is the process. I'm going to outline a, a little three-step process that I used typically uh, when I do my therapy. One, acknowledgement of the hurt and the issue. We have to fully acknowledge, be accountable to, which by the way, I'll get back to accountability here too. Be accountable to the hurt and the issue. Number two, infuse empathy. And number three, reconcile as appropriate that's for self and others not just not just for somebody else but it could be for ourselves that is the process that i use when i teach forgiveness and i'm working with somebody on forgiving themselves or forgiving others it's a hard process but it's it's those three steps and when we get to the reconciliation remember i talked about accountability at the beginning of forgiveness right we we want to acknowledge and be accountable to what needs to be forgiven. Well, that's the the next step in my clinical currency is accountability. We can't do it if we're not being accurate about the truth. I feel like I want to do this, even though I know this is bad and not healthy for me. We have to be accurate and accountable to our own truth and the truth of what's happening around us, our environment, our relationships. Any distortions of truth will interfere. So accountability is very, very important. Currency uh, for for clinical work is also communication. It has to be healthy, and when things get chaotic, we have to take communication and break it down into a rigid process to prevent distortions lies, deceptions, stuff like that. So communication is, is one of those that we would break down further as well. Safety is another currency, spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, all of them. We have to be safe. And in the clinical world, that's a currency for sure. Confidentiality. Look, a lot of people tell us clinicians stuff that they won't tell anybody else because we will keep private information private. That doesn't mean secrets. Secrets are going to be those moral issues. Secrets and you can, you can go back and listen to other podcasts, but secrets and privacy are very, very different. Go ahead and check out my other one. I'm way more in depth on that. And then the other currency. And this is why a good therapist, in my opinion, will sometimes play with their clients. Now it's not, you know, maybe we're playing cards. Maybe we're joking around and messing with each other. Um, Maybe we are, uh, you know, talking about our, uh, you know, our outings because we have to experience a level of joy together. A relationship that's all work is unbalanced. There has to be a level of joy within the relationship and that's a currency. Okay. I went over the clinical currency. You have to come up with your own currency. What is your currency? I offered you what what I have framed as my clinical currency because for me that just doesn't apply in clinical work. That applies in my life. It is part of my design. That's my currency. And you got to know you got to know what your currency is. What is Your scale? What is your currency? It's a tough question. You know, some of you may not be able to answer that well right now, but I encourage you to explore it. And if you have your own therapist, hey, take this information to them and say, hey, what do you think about my currency? What is my currency? Do I spend too much time on this particular area or that particular area? Get feedback. Coming full circle, I want to wrap up with when we hit rock bottom, we find out what we value the most. Ask any recovered addict, ask anybody who's been in the darkest, deepest depression, and they will tell you they had to go to that rock bottom place because they didn't ask themselves these questions. So, if you ask yourself these questions, yes, does it help to be in that rock bottom? In some ways, yes. But do we have to go there to ask and answer these questions? No, we do not. Ask these questions of yourself, talk to people about them, talk to people who love you and care about you, and see what they think your currency is. What is your currency? Is it time? Is it affirmation? Is it quality of relationships? Like there's so many to choose from. What is your currency? And then how do those currencies interact with one another as well? Look, that's a a lot of work for you to do. I always appreciate you giving me your time. I hope that this tiny glimpse at that Johnny Depp hitting his ground zero, that you know, in the play Hamilton, when, when Alexander Hamilton hit ground zero, he had lost his son, he had lost his wife, he had ruined everything. And he hit that ground zero and he asked himself, what's it all about? What's it all for? Explore it. Please explore it. And come back and join me next time. Thanks for joining us and have a good one.